0: Welcome to Fintech Insider News, coming to you from our lovely, lovely office in WeWork London. I'm David Brea, and today on the show, I am joined by my 11FS colleague and resident research and voiceover queen, Megan Johnson. Say hey, Megan. Hello. And we have also our resident core banking guru. This is Andra Sinia. Say hey, Andra. Hi there. You haven't been back for a little while. It's good to have you back. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and joining us this week, we have Tanya Andreessen, the editor of Banking Technology. Say hey hi there. So quick announcement before we get started, um, Fintech Insider News, a platform for fintech news and trends is well and truly underway. So now the beta of that is live, you can jump in, sign up, start sharing, start commenting and really, really get involved. So head over to fintechinsidernews.com and sign up and get involved. Right, let's get on with the news. So first up this week, we have a story from Bloomberg. This is, executives are more worried about Amazon than Trump. In itself, that headline is entertaining, I have to say. But is that really true? Do we believe that uh, the the people at the uh, top end of most of the banking organisations particularly are really sort of more worried than uh, about Amazon? A lot of talk about that over the last 10 years, but nobody seems to be doing anything. So do we think that's right?
1: I mean... To be quite frank, this actually makes me very happy because I'm so sick of hearing about Donald Trump. I mean, it it could be that, you know, people have been hearing about Trump and it's just, you know, people are kind of used to all of his nonsense and whatnot. But I mean, it it does show that Amazon is seen as a, a genuine sort of challenger, almost like a boogeyman in a lot of industries. And I mean, I think that's quite exciting. I mean, obviously, the big news with the Whole Foods purchase. And so, yeah.
0: Do we we think this one is sort of Trump's at worst going to go away in eight years, but Amazon might be here for a lot longer? Is that the mentality, do you think?
2: Nice pun. Thank you. For sure. I I think Amazon does a lot of stuff um, in financial services, and it does it on on quiet, you know. There are many programs that somehow appear in the news only after they have earned an astounding amount of of money. So only in, in June they announced that amazon did lending for small and medium enterprises in us uk and japan for 1 billion dollars wow i mean i haven't heard the uk banks being worried about about, about this but they're definitely in the in the lending business needless to say the card uh, credit card providers are very worried about the pay button you know which is embedded in the experience and so on so i think they do things quietly but
0: um, are you saying donald trump doesn't do things quietly so uh <laughs> so potentially <laughs> Boy, what uh, do you
2: think? Yeah, yeah yeah
0: amazon yeah. will sneak up sort of stealthy stealthy and and donald trump will sort of revoke all of the uh sort of uh different uh, like to be honest with you, like in the banking context i think trump is actually probably pro banking and big business right uh, sort of all of the repeals that we're seeing of dodd yeah. frank and everything is any sort of isn't he one of them?
1: I mean, I think definitely big business, but I mean, from his track record with how he deals with SMEs and kind of the smaller suppliers, and I guess that's where sort of Amazon, it kind of um, I don't know, stands out. They are really supporting the the smaller businesses. And
3: well, I also think that Amazon has fingers in so many pies, and some of it is kind of very much talked about. Some of the stuff people kind of let go under the radar but if you look at the international scene of businesses across the board and across different verticals amazon is everywhere you know is you here retail and food and ai you know payments etc cetera, etc cetera. how many times have you guys heard amazon you know banking and amazon in the same sentence you know uh, or we are going to be amazon off blah 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 whatever it is banking finance payments etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh when you look also at international scene you have your alibaba group in the east and you have amazon in the west so no wonder everybody's talking about it across the board i mean trump is also omnipresent mm-hmm. but not to the same extent he I likes to tell amazon. you he's omnipresent. well yes yeah well let's put it in inverted commas yes okay. he wants to be omnipresent <laughs> so um i think in that respect it's kind of Almost logical that Amazon would be a lot more on on the lips of people than um, you know than Trump. Yeah.
0: Well, well, fingers crossed. I, I guess this one sort of comes to fruition, and one of them <laughs> continues to be hugely successful, and one of them stops. Moving on.
1: Amen um, to that, David. Indeed. Um, <laughs>
0: so, moving on, the next story that we've got is one from Finextra. This was submitted by Bob McLean on FinTech Insider News. This is RBC customers can now ask Siri to pay their bills. What do we think about this one? I know there's been quite a lot of sort of interesting voice sort of activation, various different things. Most of them are reasonably confused by my accent, but um, what's going on with this, MJ?
1: Definitely. So, I mean, RBS says they've made a few updates to the app. So essentially customers can make bill payments um, via Siri, um, which they then have to authenticate with Touch ID. Um, And this is in addition to being able to make Interact payments with iMessage. So Interact is kind of the um, domestic scheme within Canada. Personally, like I don't want to sound too negative, but these kind of native capabilities These aren't really utilized by most of the customers Um, like Force Touch the iMessage payments Siri payments I mean they they look great from a PR perspective shows that you're quite um, digitally savvy but I mean we've done Siri payments with Monzo and, and Discover and added them into Pulse and I mean nine times out of 10, it actually doesn't work. Like I remember I was kind of like, oh, pay someone. And I had to say my name and it was picking up an incorrect spelling of my name. And then it was just like, ah. So I think that with a lot of these things, it actually is quicker and more convenient for the customer to actually do it directly in the app.
0: I, I would have thought purely from a security perspective as well, right? Like my, my likelihood to be sat on the train and sort of tell my phone to pay my mum some money back for something just seems a bit weird, doesn't it? So, like, I I don't think voice assistance is really sort of a got the intelligence behind it really, uh, and b really, you know. Yeah at the level where it's sort of day-to-day use you know
2: i, I appreciate it from an accessibility point of view yeah, so I, I assume that there are many customers who are not uh, either because they don't see well or they don't see at all they would prefer to have a, a, a channel which is you know a voice um how good it is i don't know but i think every experiment is is worth uh, doing because you learn something out of it but
0: uh, to that to that point to be honest i i i think i've said this before but for those who hadn't listened to it i accidentally like smashed my phone about four months ago and um couldn't literally couldn't use the screen for basically most of it not working and the rest of it putting glass in my fingers um and actually i was able to use it for about six or seven days before i got the screen fixed just because of siri so you know there are use cases for it yeah absolutely i did feel quite silly doing it when i was on the but you know It it is possible, right?
3: Well, anything that expands the choice for the consumer, Mm -hmm. you know... uh that's good. Has to be good. I mean the consumer might like it or might not, but the choice is there. So if you want to use it, you use it. If you want to, I don't know, show off, you do it. If you don't, you don't. Um So if you're like but, what
0: you want to show off about your balance, you're like, like oh, yeah. hey, Siri, tell me my balance,
3: you know. <laughs> or like how cool you are with all your modern technology. Yeah, yeah. But when you think about it, you know, what people usually associate still this voice um apps with is those good old days when you tried to book a film uh, calling the cinema and you had that automatic response when you were trying like aliens and say did you mean mm-hmm. how to lose a guy in 10 days or whatever you know it's so like no that's not what i meant so it's like exasperation yeah. so, so so
0: it's like is siri payments the amex payment of like the 90s you know people were concerned when they tried to pay with amex it wasn't going to work and now siri's that thing
3: Possibly. I mean, as, as the time develops and technology develops, you know, um, if it gets better and people like it and there is a bigger uptake, you know, wonderful. If it's not, well, so be it. But as long as there is a choice mm. and uh, big banks like RBC, for instance, and USA for, um, they have enough money and capabilities to introduce that as a trial, you know, without mm. a lot of, sort of cost yeah. you know attached to it so well, at,
0: at least relevant cost anyway but yes. spe- speaking <laughs> of uh, usaa actually the pilot that those guys have done looks maybe slightly more sophisticated than this the sort of claims of you know using a little bit more sophisticated ai behind this Andrew, what's uh, what's occurring
2: yeah so it's an it's an interesting um pilot with a small company called clink it started at university of uh, michigan and I find it uh, beautiful as, a, as an idea. It was not developed for financial services initially, so maybe that's why I, li- <laughs> I like it. So actually their product, which is called Fini from Financial Genie. Fini is based on Lucida, uh, which was a, a product developed in order to improve uh, server het- architecture that can handle astronomical workloads that the cloud platform supporting machine learning as a service would would require interestingly enough they discovered that it 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 could be used it should be used as an ai or for uh, for banking and uh, i would watch them with with interest to see what the, what else they do
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one if they're stepping into cloud processing for doing this stuff, because actually it's necessary, isn't it? You know, and I think this is almost, it's always the limitation of Siri to a certain degree is, uh, you know, I I kind of believe most of the major innovations come through data connectivity. So the point where, like, if I'm trundling around Norfolk, where I live on a GPRS connection, then Siri's almost no use to me, because actually all of the processing power is You know, my device can only do so much. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting if at the point where actually you've got much better connectivity and you've got much better cloud processing power, then actually it can do amazing things, can't it?
3: Well, interestingly, I mean, this story got a lot of attention, but um, the story that went somewhat under the radar was maybe six months ago, maybe more about another uh, American um, organization called Baxter Credit Union. So it's a much smaller credit union but they piloted a very similar thing with a core banking vendor, so you would know, <laughs> um, Jack Henry Sumitar, and they have the Episys core banking system. So they claim that they integrated Amazon Echo into the system. So Baxter was the first taker, and this is what they piloted to great success. So they said about customers being able to inquire about their balances, to be able yeah. to have a chat, um, you know, about what's going on with their finances, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. make transfers, maybe not to the same sophisticated extent, I guess, but yeah. uh, nevertheless, it was an interesting story as well. Yeah, so
2: obviously, all these um, intelligent engines need to interrogate a large population of data, which in banking or the transactions, banking transaction, which live in the core banking system. Now, if you think about a typical bank, which has all this information split in 40, 80 systems and their mess, doesn't matter what AI you Put there, you cannot extract much uh, intelligence. So these things should go together somehow.
0: Yeah, I think um, first get some human intelligence and then move into artificial intelligence. Yeah. But uh, moving on, so Finextra, another article coming out of there. So this is FinSync connects with WorldPay US. So this is actually quite an interesting one because this is a, a fully integrated accounting payroll platform that WorldPay is actually looking to partner up with. So this is a quite an interesting one for the sort of business-to-business small business place. Uh, What do you guys think?
2: I think it's a trend that we see um, um, in, in, in the industry where when you talk about small and medium enterprises, you do not separate the platforms as they used to be separate simply because A a certain type of vendor produces them, like you use this for payments, you use this for accounting, you use this for banking. For a small and medium enterprising, it's just managing my business from a financial point of view. So we've seen banks trying to integrate with accounting uh, platforms in order to provide this financial management view we also see accounting platforms like FinSync, which try to come from the, from the other direction and they integrate with payments. And, and all it seems to, to lead to
1: managing the cash flow of small and medium enterprises. So I think we will see more of that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, I think a few months ago, PayPal released their business in a box, which is something quite similar. So Probably it's zero
0: integrated. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. So
1: it's targeted towards, um, sort of the smaller end, um, of the SME market that sort of focus more on e-commerce, um, so you can sort of have your website build PayPal for acceptance uh in zero as well but I mean there's there are a few banks sort of making strides towards integration so UBS um has an integration with Bexio which is the equivalent of um I guess Xero in Switzerland mm. so definitely I think we're going to be seeing more of it
0: what sort of Quietly, quietly, we're seeing real disruption in commercial banking, aren't we, really? You know, and, and actually, when you look at the sort of tides and the coconuts and the pentas of the world sort of really sort of coming through, then it, it kind of feels like whether it be the challenger business banks or whether it be the big incumbent accounting firms being able to do something from a sage or a zero perspective, then it, it's like actually a much more dynamic landscape than retail banking.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's been such an un- underserved segment for so long. It's just, it was only a matter of time, I think. And mm. they is, still are. Yeah,
3: Yeah, there is, well, there is definitely a lot of innovation going on there. And there is a lot of opportunity, I guess, um, for businesses, uh, you know, who serve that space to, A, make money and become successful, et cetera. Because as you guys were saying, it's been so underserved for so many years. And f- now, finally, it's like hot, 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 everybody's at it. <laughs> Obviously, not everybody's going to be successful. There is a story about Due Course, which is an S- SME fintech startup, um, what were they doing invoicing i think or something along those lines that from manchester that went into administration a couple of days ago so it's a, it's going to be a tough market there is a lot of competition but it's good at least to see that something is happening right mm. rather than just a big bank saying no you can't have a loan to yeah. me, you know and that's it
0: and, and it feels like that sort of turns the pressure up on them doesn't it you know all of these sort of bees buzzing around the head of the bear type thing sort of forces the bear to react to a certain degree doesn't it so you know the big incumbent banks can no longer do nothing they have to you know they're being sort of provoked into action to a certain degree and especially where the you know the people like penta and tide and coconut are bringing sort of really refreshing new experiences and you know new approaches to lending into the market then actually it's a you know no longer can they just sort of rely on doing nothing, really.
3: Oh, absolutely. And it's not just SME market. I mean, if you look at the retail market, which the challenger bank started in, you know, to begin with, um, look at Barclays, for instance. As soon as guys like Monzo or whatever were announcing that they're going to do this in their app... Boom! A week later, suddenly <laughs> Barclays app can do the same thing. So, you know, so if, as you say, if it doesn't disrupt to like a massive extent, at least there is a reaction. Yeah. And at least there is an improvement, which benefits the consumer.
0: Yeah, competition—it's always good for good for somebody, and it's mm. usually the consumer, isn't it? So, um, moving on. So we have another story from TechCrunch, and this was submitted onto the FinTech Insider News by uh, Yoni Levy. So this is Klarna launches a peer-to-peer payment app called wavy. So Klana kind of can't do any wrong, right? These are like one of the biggest, most profitable fintech players that there is on the the, the whole sort of block. So um, what are they doing with this?
1: Yeah, so they kind of really sneakily launched this app. And I feel like Klarna is kind of a bit sneaky with what they do. Um, but essentially, it's a peer-to-peer payment app. Um, they're working with a team behind Cookies, which is a failed um, German P2P app. And sort of how the app um, they claim is different is that you don't have to download the app um, once you receive a payment request. Um, you don't have to input and store your card details. It works in 31 countries. Um, so it's pan-European. But I mean, like we look at Tiki, uh, which is a payment app from ABN Amro in the Netherlands. And it's it's essentially the same thing. Um, so you can initiate a payment request via uh, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Twitter, um, the recipient will receive the link and they can make the payment within their app. So I mean, it's nothing new in terms of not having to download the app and sending it via a messenger platform. I think that it's it's interesting because within sweden like swish is so prominent most of like swish has been around for so long almost like every adult in sweden use a swish so I think that they're going to have a real difficult time going up against that and I mean even if you look in yeah with Tiki in the Netherlands has been a huge uptake I think that the key benefit is definitely that kind of pan-European so if you have you know like a few people out traveling or um, a few friends traveling from different countries being able to easily pay each other back that way so I think they've that's kind of the niche where I think they'll succeed with this. Is
0: is this a move from Klarna to be more sort of Customer facing to a certain degree, you know, like really in the face of uh, yeah. of people, you know, they've they've kind of dominated in the the sort of back office a lot. But is this about really sort of being front of wallet as it used to be described? I
1: think so. I mean, one of the other sort of um, benefits they promote is that customers um, can instantly, I guess, activate Wavy if they already have the Klarna app. But I think this is more particular to kind of uh, the Swedish market and the other Scandinavian markets because I don't use Klarna in the UK I don't know
2: yeah I think um, the movement makes sense in the Swedish or in the Nordic uh, market because uh, Swish was used for P2P and I think two years ago or one yeah two years ago they tried to go in the e-commerce space um, which was occupied by Klarna and initially Klarna they wanted to integrate with them then they had some technical problems anyway but then Klarna goes after Swish market now um, which was P2P
0: was those technical problems that Klarna were strategically going to be doing that in 18 months later? Or uh,
2: yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know enough about <laughs> that. Uh, no, it seems that indeed they had technical issues for whatever reason um, when they wanted to work with larger amounts and... Um, I don't know um, more about this. Klarna normally is, is is not extremely visible. So you pay in the e-commerce um, place. It's B2C. You, you don't know it. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: B2C. Yeah, yeah it's not uh, b 2 And I mean, I think, I mean, interesting that it's branded Wavy and not necessarily Klarna. And I mean, there's so many P2P apps out there. Yeah. You have um, Lydia, which is in France, which is trying to be Venmo. You have Pingit. Um, and I think with... Uh, p2p payment apps like for them to be sex- successful they have to focus on like the particular market so with tiki the whole idea of going dutch like in the whole concept of the app really caters to the fact that people request like i had two beers you had three beers last night pay me for those two beers um similar to i mean even like with vemo in the states with the kind of integration of um, the social aspect that very much caters to the u.s market so
0: I love that they took a pun as like going Dutch and like turned it into some banking technology. That's pretty impressive. But uh, maybe moving on, this is another story from Finextra, uh, and this was submitted onto FinTech Insider News by Gary Fagan. So Gary, who's a bit of a legend in there, I have to say, in terms of the amount of submissions he's doing. So well done there, Gary. Uh, so this is Ingenico extends its AliPay acceptance to banks and acquirers in Europe. So sort of the Alipay sort of march continues into into Europe. What what do we think about
3: this? Absolutely. I mean, Alipay is... Like you have your Alipay and your Amazon, and that's what everybody's talking about, right? You have your Chinese tourism that is growing exponentially. You have people from China with lots of money to spend who are coming over, you know, to the European countries. So everybody wants to be associated with Alipay. So you have your BBVA without Al- bringing Alipay to Spain. You have your UniCredit bringing it to Italy. You have, um, I think, Viva Payments who is bringing it now to Greece. So it's just no stopping. Oh, Barclays in the UK, of course. So I'm sure that there's going to be loads and loads of announcements of various, you know, payment providers and hardware and software providers and banks <laughs> associating themselves with Alipay. And it's it would be interesting to see, because Alipay is all QR code based, right? So which is something that in the West is not particularly popular. And we've all seen this kind of fun cartoons about do you th- are you thinking of using QR, you know, kill it kind of thing. Yet, we have this kind of onslaught of the QR acceptance coming from the east so does that mean that's going to be change of mind in the west as well but
0: but i guess the you know the one of the most successful sort of apps has been starbucks right who has been predicated on sort of qr codes at point of sale hasn't it and and it hasn't sort of limited them too much has it I, i guess The thing that I kind of fear slightly with all of the sort of bank integration stuff, it's, it's like, um, the vampire can't come into your house until you invite it. And, you know, for all of the sort of talk of Alipay not, um, sort of wanting to kind of expand out into Europe or the Middle East or Africa, they do have a head of Alipay Europe, Middle East and Africa, which is interesting. And we've had Rita on the show a couple of times. So, you know, they're, they're saying this is for travelers from China. But it feels like it's like a flick of a switch away from having a you know a global payment setup that's backed by all the banks.
2: The, the movement is beautiful in my view. Yeah, because it's not a partnership with a certain bank. Is this provider for of right. uh, terminals payment terminals, which updated or modified is um, the operating system of of those devices? So basically it's enabled everywhere where these terminals are, are being used
0: yeah which becomes everywhere which is yeah. like <laughs> which is amazing right yeah, yeah it yeah, is so.
2: it, it's there yeah again so be it you know if the
3: consumer yeah. wants to pay <laughs> through alipay you know they yeah. should be able to do that
0: that's true very true it's going to be really really interesting to see how this one plays out i think the you know the big banks are kind of getting on the bandwagon to a certain degree playing with the you know like the hottest thing that's out there which is alipay right everybody's kind of scared of it 450 million active users everybody is terrified of it you know it's kind of a uh, a thing that i guess seems almost like given the scale of the investment given the scale of the customer base it sort of does feel like the cliffhanger ending that you can see sort of coming from a million miles away isn't it but um so we'll um, see what happens on this one next but um, so moving on we have a story in Reuters this is submitted in fi news uh, again by Gary dude prolific if nothing else and this is the bitcoin split but clone off to slow start which I'll be honest with you sounds super confusing so I think probably what's best to do is we'll fill up our drinks and let's see what Simon has to say about this speak
4: to you in a little while So the story in Reuters about Bitcoin splitting in half, very interesting one. And if you've been following the financial services news at all, you might have heard rumors of this thing. So what does splitting in half mean? Well, this comes down to what's known in Bitcoin as the scaling debate. What will the future of Bitcoin be? As regular listeners will know, Bitcoin can only do around seven transactions per second. So there's a real worry as Bitcoin grows. How does it scale to meet the demand of more and more users? Well, one group of people believe that they should increase the amount of transactions that can happen in one block that goes into the blockchain from one megabyte to eight megabytes. And they have in effect created a new version of Bitcoin that starts with all of the history of the old world of Bitcoin, but operates with new code and therefore it's incompatible. So now we have Bitcoin and we also have Bitcoin cash. So what does that mean for you? Well if you hold Bitcoin, chances are it means almost nothing, unless you hold it at some exchanges, in which case, your Bitcoin, maybe you held one Bitcoin, you now also hold one Bitcoin Cash token, let's call it. So these two tokens both have their own value. Bitcoin is at current market value around €2,700 euro, or around $3,000 each. Seems to have gone without a hitch and not missed a beat since uh, the Bitcoin Cash fork happened. Bitcoin Cash, however, seemed to open really, really spectacularly, hitting nearly $700 and has now dropped to around $250. So whilst this show does not give out investment advice, some of you may have found yourself in the position where you had one Bitcoin uh, worth three thousand dollars and you suddenly had another one worth 250 so it's interesting times and certainly speaks to more of the confusion that's happening in the blockchain space but of course if you want to know more we talk all about this on our podcast blockchain insider and if you'd like to find out more about blockchain insider go to your favorite podcast app or go to iTunes and enter blockchain insider to find out more where we cover this in depth for at least a half an hour of the last two shows and we'll be covering it on our next show as well so' look forward to hearing from you there. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription.
3: Critical Mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs
0: And welcome back. So, the next story that we have is on good old BBC News. So, this is Apple sales boosted by Apple Pay and Apple Music. So, I've just cancelled my Apple Music subscription. So, this is bad timing to have this conversation. But um what do you guys think about this one? Who, out of the four of us, who uses Apple Pay?
1: I use Apple Pay, like... Regularly, I would be lost without Apple Pay, and when I have to actually like pull out my physical card, I get really pissed off about it.
0: (laughs) I just like to point out this this message is not sponsored by Apple.
1: (laughs) I don't know; it's just completely like I just got used to tapping in on like the tube and everything. And I'm a very forgetful person, so there's been a few times where I've left my wallet in the office, and Apple Pay has actually like saved my life. I could buy food for dinner. You're one of those annoying
0: people who take an extra 300 milliseconds at the tube terminals to get through type thing, you know?
1: Yes. I talk loudly.
0: (laughs) You don't listen. Yeah.
1: But it's so annoying to kind of like dig into your backpack and get your card and everything. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't have a wallet. It's easier for guys, I guess, to kind of just pull it out and
0: Bit sexist. (laughs) What do you guys think? Apple pay users.
1: Uh, I don't use Apple pay. I probably should, but
3: um, see, I don't live in London. So, take that into consideration. I live in a tiny little seaside town where cards are accepted, but not even in every mm. <laughs>
0: single little shop. So. Cards accepted, but fraud upon. You know? Yeah. Yes, I live in yeah, a similar yeah, place as exactly. well. Exactly.
3: Yeah. So... Apple Pay, oh, my goodness, you know. Witchcraft, Yeah, what sort of witchcraft is that? Exactly. So, however, however, again, it's a really nifty thing. You know, London, big cities, it's a very useful device to have. Uh, As you say, if you don't have a wallet with you, if you don't have a card, you know, that's a real lifesaver. And um, I think, according to the story, Apple Pay and Apple Music did contribute considerably to the revenue. They don't split it separately, though, in in the, you know, in the story. So, it's hard to say how much exactly, you know, what's attributed to what.
0: There were some reasonably sort of questionable, shall we say, statistics that are in there as well, weren't they? So they were actually saying Apple Pay now accounts for almost 90% of mobile payment transactions around the world. I'm not sure there's any backing up of those numbers. I'm, 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 at sure, I'm sure China
3: will disagree. Yeah. Is that
0: via an iPhone or like, you know, that just seems like a very, very large percentage for something that I... <laughs> well,
2: if it's Apple
3: Pay via an iPhone, it should be 100%. Exactly. yeah, maybe. Yeah. They don't
2: qualify it if it's in number of transactions or amount or... I I just don't understand where this number
1: comes from and they don't, um, they don't explain. Uh, yeah. I mean, even in the States, like where Apple Pay it was the first market to launch, it's had such a poor i will take Adoption. it, yeah, in the States as well. And Well,
3: they still write checks there, so come on. <laughs>
0: you know? Spell it wrong as well. Moving on. So we, next story we have from Yonhap News, which is a new one to me. And it was submitted to our FinTech Insider News by Joe. It was an amazing number of things on this one. Like, so this is, I'm going to murder the name here. Is it Keiko? Anybody? I
1: looked at it and thought Keiko as well. Or yeah. Ke- yeah. All right. I thought it was like Like Coco, you know? Yeah.
0: All right. <laughs> One of those. Keiko, Keiko bank attracts 800,000 accounts in four days. Yes. A new challenger bank attracting 800,000 people in four days. Just. Staggering numbers here, and this was South Korea,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, so this is the second only internet bank. Um, it comes from Kakao, um, which it's gonna is going to be one of those, isn't yeah, it? Let's one of them, on. hopefully. Um, and they're a messenger platform, so they're the most widely used uh, messenger platform. So, I mean, it sounds like oh my god, eight hundred thousand. But I think, given the fact that one, it's South Korea and it's Asia, and two, it's coming from a messenger platform. It kinda yeah. it kinda makes sense, I think.
2: Yeah. So the Messenger platform has uh over one hundred million users. So if you think about this eight hundred K users really it's it, just a bit more than than one percent. But um it's kind of
0: raining on the parade here guys. It's like eight hundred thousand is kind of a big
3: number
2: still, you know like, even, uh, yes, give them a break. Much, much less actually than one percent. Well, I mean
3: considering that they are one of the two only digital banks in South Korea. So it's not much competitions mm-hmm. when it comes to mobile-only banks. Yeah. Uh, and they both launched at the same time, within like literally a month from each other. So the other one is K-Bank, uh, which I think is allegedly doing a bit worse than Kakao in terms of onboarding customers, etc. But there are also some stats about um, the money that they Taken as deposits and loans, so it's uh, apparently loans of over two hundred thirty-two million dollars, uh, US dollars, and uh, the deposits of over two hundred forty-five million dollars. Wow. So that actually no longer is a rain on the parade, right? Yeah. That's that's like wow, that's quite impressive. Yes. It like <laughs> so, out
0: the gates fast, yeah. But I, I guess. You know, I was being reasonably sort of facetious there, which, if you're a regular listener, is sort of one of my special subjects. But um, the idea that 800,000 is like not a big deal, then I guess we've had uh, people like Jonathan Larson on from Ping An saying, you know, if we don't have a few million in six months doing this on a POC, then it's not worth us doing anymore. So, like, just the scale in China and Korea is just sort of beyond comprehension, mm-hmm. You know, I guess the the thing I will sort of come back to in this space is like, you know, UK banks worry about putting 20 million people on in a piece of infrastructure. And actually, you're kind of registering and going through the KYC process with 800,000 people in like four days. Like, most people would be just freaking out, wouldn't they?
3: <laughs> well, it's... Um Like you know, if you compare, say, for example, if you talk to any Indian bank, you know they're saying, "Oh, we are a small rural bank or rural cooperative. We only have like hundred million customers or whatever." (laughs) And then you, but the same token, you talk to the U.S. community rural bank, and they say, "Well, we have I don't know a thousand customers in one branch." So, so the the scale is is. completely different. So it's really difficult to compare.
0: I don't sort of get the impression this is going to be the last of the very large numbers that we'll sort of see on this show. So uh, we'll um, see where we get to next. So moving on. So this is a story over in Business Insider. So this is a Brexit exodus may cost London 40,000 investment banking jobs. I guess there'll be a lot of people saying good riddance to those investment bankers and whatnot. But um, 40,000 seems like a big number.
2: It is by some, but not by others. So this number comes from um, a report published by Oliver Wyman uh, this week. <coughs> it's a retake of a report that they um, did last year um, around the same uh, question. What happens um, in, in a Brexit scenario? How many jobs will be lost in the city? Initially, they said 35. Now they said 40,000. EY said more than 80,000 jobs and there are various other numbers uh, circulating on on the market. So um, I think uh, we've heard more news in the past month um, about uh, what banks uh, live and towards which destination they live simply because PRA asked the um, the banks in April uh, about their contingency plans, and more recently, the new chair of the Treasury Committee asked the banks and asked the Bank of England about uh, these contingency uh, plans of the banks. So they started uh, stating what they what they do, uh,
1: and it's a bit scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I've looked at quite a bit into kind of the UK fintech scene and. The impact from brexit and i mean most people are saying that it's kind of people are kind of looking at it taking a breath and just waiting like nothing has really happened immediately and even I don't know what's going to happen with Brexit but it will still take I think so long for the actual impacts it's not like all of a sudden 40,000 jobs like the city is just going no, to be I, deserted I, I, or anything I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I.
2: no I think that uh, for, for banks it's a completely different um, situation than, than the fintech companies they are public companies and they announce results and, and so on they cannot afford to say in six months we didn't do anything about it or to to get uh, losses you know just because they they didn't act in time so they have a responsibility to act and what I'm afraid of is that doesn't matter if Brexit happens or not because of the loss of trust in the in the system they took the decisions and they will move um, anyway. You know, the loss is there. And people look like, oh, Morgan Stanley announced, you know, just 200 people moving to Frankfurt or something. But these are the sales of Morgan Stanley. Those 200 people <laughs> make more money than, I don't know, an entire district in uk people do not imagine the staggering amount of money w- which are created in the city in investment banking
0: so do we do we feel there's going to be a, like a real knock-on effect down oxford oxford street you know harrods won't be able to like the sales will be on all of these poor things that used to in the trail of the investment bankers selling gucci watches i mean and i these. wouldn't
1: be opposed to a mass sale at harrods yeah, or uh, anything like, i for one will
0: vote for that as well so.
1: <laughs> well if, if there is a silver line just think
3: how many, so okay, so the investment bankers might move, but all these companies and all these banks, how many consultants, lawyers, and other relevant people they have to hire yeah. to sort this out. Yeah. So perhaps the investment bankers will be replaced <laughs> by, you know, your legal it, it is a
0: thin silver lining, <laughs> isn't it? It is, it is. I'm clutching the straws yeah. here, okay? Somebody has to win, doesn't they? Yeah,
2: <laughs> but apart from the sales job, we're looking uh, um, to a large amount of support jobs in the banks themselves. I mean, it, it's not just that. Think about product controllers, all the middle office, uh, all the back office functions, and we have seen banks uh, doing relocations of such functions at, at large scale before 10, 20 12 years ago, uh, we've seen Deutsche Bank doing something like that. In a year, they moved all the supporting functions for investment banking to Manila and then to Singapore and so on. Things have been done before. Uh, They know how to do them and they started doing it. You know, it's not that the branch will disappear from the <laughs> from the uh, high street, but the money will disappear from the coffers of the tre- Treasury and people will realise that, you know, there is nothing to fund whatever it, it was being funded by the public money.
0: So I, I guess maybe to um, counterbalance some of the um, sort of headline, scaremongery, nonsense type thing, is that Deutsche Bank actually have decided that London is the thing and actually have uh, signed a 25-year lease to house... A- a 5,000-person office in sunny London. So, you know, not all the organizations are deciding to sort of disappear into uh, sort of Frankfurt or Luxembourg or wherever it might be, but um, many are sort of deciding that um, London still has a strategic advantage when it comes to it. Um, there were actually some really interesting sort of, Stories coming out of this. So the one on uh, e-financial careers actually, uh, and this was submitted by Sharon onto Fintech Insider News was that uh, the Brexit effect for banking pay. Um, not sure if anybody sort of took a good look at this one, but the, the idea that the sort of squeeze around, uh, banking is kind of hitting everybody pretty hard in terms of what the sort of, um, professional expertise is actually valued for, which in itself is a negative thing, right? If we, we don't pay people suitably for kind of expertise, then they're going to be looking for somewhere else to go anyway, right?
2: Yeah. If we relate this to Brexit, do you have to think, okay, what sort of jobs will remain in in london and what what goes and who carries the cost of this relocation because obviously injecting new capital in, to to the new location moving employees appointing senior management, management and moving their kids to schools and all these things ha- this has a cost somebody carries the cost so you cut from other things so probably they will cut from pay as well um i don't
0: know one of the things i sort of found interesting in this is that um what they said is that the Brexit effect looks very similar to the sort of regulatory wave that came after the financial crisis. So, you know, very much that resulted in people um, sort of the banks being prompted into strengthening control staff and really sort of tightening their their belts to a certain degree. So, you know, I guess, uh, I think, MJ, it was you saying a second ago is that we sort of just don't really know. And I guess all of that sort of uncertainty in the market is just going to continue to lead to uh, people not really knowing what to do and what not to do but um again probably not something we're going to solve right now let's keep an eye on it
3: shall we
1: there's actually I'm just looking there's quite an interesting statistic with this so HSBC has only spent 1 million dollars so far on brexit but it said yesterday it expects to spend 300 million on legal and relocation fees when it moves 1000 staff to locations within the EU yeah
0: Sounds like accounting, doesn't it, really? But um, moving on then. So this is a story in the Telegraph. Uh, this is Watchdog calls for fundamental reform of overdraft charges. Now, we've spoke about this one a bit before, but people really seem to be getting behind this one now in terms of, uh, you know, really sort of uh, shaking up what it is that um, banks can and can't charge or the, the caps that banks can actually sort of charge for things like overdrafts. Um, I guess we've spoken a bit before about really the pressures that we're sort of seeing now both from a a watchdog perspective but also from a competition perspective you know we're seeing the the challenger banks coming into the space and really sort of saying you know punitive charges doesn't seem fair maybe we should be sort of treating people differently and we've seen lloyd's banking group recently sort of get on the bandwagon with this one as well what do you guys think
3: Mm. Banking, fair, these are the two words that go together, (laughs) really. But it's great for the regulator to get involved. It's, it is very encouraging. I think uh, the feedback has been so far that it's good, but they could do more. So, and uh, the question is, why hasn't it been done sooner? Why has it allowed to continue for so long? Because indeed, overdraft charges can get people in an outrageous debt and sometimes they can be worse than pay their loans mm. you know and people don't realize the severity you know until it's like too late and they basically the bank owns you and the next five generations that you, you know of your family um wow, so, you yeah. should have read the
0: small print on that, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. that contract <laughs> exactly it's um yeah it is pretty pretty terrifying and like i say it almost sort of seems like there's a Unapologetic kind of bear trap there to sort of capture people, and in many instances, it's the people who sort of need the support the most that then suffer from those sort of punitive charges, don't they? Which is sort of worrying trend, really. So hopefully, uh, like I say, the regulator getting a bit more involved, and the watchdogs calling for uh, sort of more. Um, Significant reforms will sort of bring about something, something of a change on this. And this sort of brings us to the end of tonight's show. So this is a interesting one and probably Shout out to the most misleading title of a, of a thing ever. <laughs> um, but this is CryptoCoin News. And we actually talked last week about the, uh, Revolut, um, funding raise, which is going rather well. But the headline here is tennis star Andy Murray amongst customers to pledge over 22 million in fintech Revolut. Now, I think they altered that slightly because to start with it basically made out like Andy Murray was putting 22 million into Revolut, but, um, Revolut raised another $22 million here. Well done them. What do you guys think?
3: Well, um, I mean, I took part in that crowdfunding round as well, but they didn't write a story about me. (laughs) I I mean, I find that disappointing. But no, it's just a good, really clickbait and a good headline. And it's great for any kind of brand Mm -hmm. when you have... A good celebrity, you know, not an infamous one, I guess, depending, of course, on what your brand is, getting involved. It's just yeah. an additional boost, you know. So you have Will I Am for Atom Bank, you now have Gwyneth Paltrow. For a uh, fintech payment uh, blockchain startup Apra, wow! So, uh, although,
0: Paltrow uh, into blockchain? Yeah, who oh, would do yeah, it?
3: Well, Maybe she should come to this show and talk about blockchain. We would welcome Gweneth so, Paltrow. <laughs> so she's not she she's not pledging money, I think. But what she's doing is she's been picked as a strategic advisor mm. for this uh, payment blockchain startup. So, and they have high hopes that with her name to their brand, you know, it's going to achieve great things.
1: Whether it will. I.
0: hey we're talking about them if it leads to nothing else other than some press i guess then uh, but um yeah, yeah interesting I,
1: I think it is like quite interesting i mean how many times have you talked about the will i am story and it's funny because as soon as i saw this that was the first thing that came to my mind but it's just interesting to see kind of like these challenger banks getting these like high profile celebrities on board and i don't know like at That wouldn't, because Andy Murray invested in Revolut. If I wasn't a Revolut user and I was kind of like the average, I don't know, millennial, I wouldn't be like, oh wow, I'm going to like open Revolut right now or. (laughs) Get my so, £10
0: yeah. <laughs> I guess this is not gonna be Andy Murray becoming like a vocal spokesperson for it, because he's he's not exactly the most motivational person in the world to be a spokesperson about anything, really, is he? So um and it doesn't actually even guarantee him that he is a investor, does it? This is like I, I don't know really how this is leaked, if I'm honest with you, because the idea that um was it twenty two million dollars has been pledged, but they only actually looked for four million in its in first instance. So you know, the idea that, um, you know, he isn't guaranteed to be one of the investors in the same way as when I tried to invest in, you know, Monzo or Revolut before, then actually I didn't, I wasn't lucky enough, you know, so, um, so somebody somewhere is leaking this in a way that, generates a bit of press for these guys, which is, um, well done you, we fell into your trap and we salute you for your attempts.
3: But it's, um, you see here, I think Andy Murray did say that in no way he's going to advise or mentor or anything. In the case of Will, I am. of course, he's on the board of the bank. So it's a slightly different, you know, proposition altogether. Um, So whether he can bring something amazing to the bank, you know, besides his name and money, I guess, well, money's good, right? So.
0: <laughs> yeah, money is always good for startups, and I, I guess that is um, you know an interesting point. But um, so we've had Will I Am now in banking. Mm-hmm. We've had Gwyneth Paltrow in blockchain. So it's like all of the stars of the Apple's app contest is going to be sort of moving <laughs> on to, to something. So who is it? Jessica, Jessica Alba, Alba and Gary V. So we're like, we need to get Gary Vee and Jessica Alba involved in some sort of banking shenanigans. And then we're like, we're just like completing the set type thing.
3: Don't forget Jay-Z. Jay-Z is involved in loads and loads of different, um, startups, not, not fintech, but in like sports and, um, not music industry. Uh, but then again, these people have so much money, they have to put their investment somewhere, right? I don't know. Uh, so, ba- ba- And I'm pretty sure somebody's advising them. on yeah. <laughs> I know, don't know. Based on do. Jay-Z's
0: lyrics, I'm not sure he's going to pass a PES check at RBS if he really wants to get involved. So, uh, <laughs> And on that note, maybe we bring the show to a close. So that wraps up another fine episode of FinTech Insider oh, News. Wraps. Fun. <laughs> indeed see what I did there um, if you liked what we did then please head over to FinTech Insider News and get involved submit some shows and you never know you might be getting a shout out next week so thanks to our guests Andrew, Megan and Tanya thank you very much for coming in guys but before we wrap up let's see what we can get you to do next so if you like what you've heard please leave us a review on iTunes uh, we love those and it's how we know you're listening thanks for listening guys speak to you next week